0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo Del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. And I just, um, we love the Morrisons, Carol, and birth their family and uh, known them. I met Carol in India in that village. A group from our church uh, met their family there, and it's just been a wonderful relationship that God has given us over the years, and we look forward to the Jordan experience. And so, God's speaking to you about that. If you're worried about whether you can do it or not, just settle the issue right now. You can't do it, but God can through you, right? And um, you know, if uh, Jordan is a little too far for you, maybe a little too big of a first step, in October, we've got a great trip coming up uh, down to Mexico for a weekend, Another awesome opportunity to share the gospel. There's information in your bulletin how you might be able to be a part of that trip as well. We, we just want to be sharing the gospel of Jesus far away and near so that all would come to know and to love Him and worship Him. Well, we're going to open up our Bibles this morning the book of Galatians. It's on page um, uh, 1169 or so. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 1 is where we're going to start. We're in a series of messages um, called Satu- Gospel Saturated, and uh, it's about it's, uh, we're taking from this letter that the apostle Paul writes to this uh, group of believers. It's a church that he planted about a year and a half before he writes this letter, planted it, stayed there for a while, grounded them in the gospel, and then left to go plant other churches. And in his absence, some bad things have been happening there, and Paul has had to have some stern words with the Galatian uh, church. I've got a pastor buddy of mine, and this is is the gospel truth, I've got a uh, a pastor buddy of mine who says his philosophy in relationships is when he first meets someone, he's a little standoffish on purpose, he's a little hard on purpose, he's a little aloof on purpose. And he says the reason for that, he, he explains that, is that way later when I'm really nice and kind and friendly, they'll be pleasantly surprised kind of an interesting philosophy. And he says, you know, Gary, though, really, it's, it's a lot better than the other way around. You know, if you start off nice and friendly and kind, and then later you got to be stern, then you look like a jerk. And so he says, I kind of prefer this method. And I wonder if my pastor buddy got some of this philosophy from the apostle Paul in the book of Galatians. Because when we have been, re- we've been reading through it, this is the ninth or tenth message, Paul begins very strongly, very harshly, very, um, uh, very confrontively. Uh, for instance, look at chapter 1, verse 6. He's hardly said hello. Have you ever gotten a phone call, and like they said hello, and then they launched into their strong agenda? You know, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And Paul has hardly said hello uh, compared to the rest of his writings, for, for sure. And, he, where, and then in verse 6, he says, I'm astonished at you guys. I can't believe you. I'm just, uh, this is crazy making what you're doing here. This is just unbelievable. And so just right out of the chute, Paul is confrontive and he's strong and he's harsh. And you just go through the first two or three chapters until you come to chapter three and you kind of hit the pinnacle of Paul's strongness there in chapter three, verse one. You foolish Galatians. This is, you know, let me just tell you, if you're dating someone don't write a letter to them and say, "You foolish woman, you foolish man." This is not a way to 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 win friends and influence enemies. Here, Paul is strong and he's he's um, he's to the point and he's directive. And you know, we all need a voice like that. We all need to have a voice like that. When your kids run out into the street, you, you don't do the gentle voice, do you? Um, hey, sweetheart, would you mind getting, oh, you know, you you don't. We've got a golden retriever. uh, He's about a year old. His name is Finn. And we have a trainer come to our house every once in a while to train us, to trade April and me, not to train Finn, but to train us. And uh, one one day he was at our house and uh, Fernando is the trainer. And Fernando came in and and I said to Finn, I said, Finn, would you like to sit? And Fernando looked at me like I had lost my head. He says, No, Finn would not like to sit. He'd like to jump on me and jump on the couch and eat the food off of the counter and all that. You tell Finn what to do. And sometimes we need voices like that, right? We need that strong voice. And Paul needed this because this was not just a a minor personality difference that he was having with the Galatians. The gospel was at stake, and they were reverting back. They were going back to trying to earn God's love and to keep God's love by being better than their cranky neighbors, you try to earn and keep God's love by checking off a whole bunch of rules and regulations. Paul says, that is damnable and that will lead you to hell. That's like rock cocaine. You will never be able to do enough and it separates you from Jesus because it makes you the Savior in your life. Rather than Jesus being the Savior all the good things and the right things and the things that you don't do that are wrong, you are putting your faith in yourself and you become your own savior. And so Paul doesn't say to the Galatians, would you guys like to sit down? Paul says, stop this foolishness now. And, and we've just been saturated in the gospel in these 10 weeks. But something very curious happened two Sundays ago when Pastor Derek preached. Something very interesting happened. Paul's tone began to change. Paul began to dial down the volume in his words to the Galatian church. And in chapter 4, as Derek preached to, to us that week, in, uh, in, in chapter 4, we, we come across this interesting verse in verse 6. And Paul says, and he's been leading up to it, because you are his sons. Now look back to verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, I don't know about you. There are some words that are, that are meant to be spoken loud, right? And there's other words that are not meant to be spoken loud. Adoption is one of the words I've never heard anyone shout, Adoption! You know, when you say adoption, you go, Adoption. You think about all that it means, the embracing and the unfolding and the gathering in and the loving relationship that adoption is, the miracle that adoption is. It's this gentle word. And so you see, we're beginning to see, and already had seen, this, this dialing down of the, of the volume in Paul's tone and in his mood. He's speaking now more familial. Speaking, you know what Paul sounds like to me? He sounds like a mother gently speaking to his child her child. They go, oh, no, 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 not the apostle Paul. Yes, the apostle Paul. You you think of Paul, he's just always, you know, take no prisoners. Man, the apostle Paul, he is like sometimes like a mother, not just a mother, but a nursing mother with the people in the churches that he shepherds. Not all the time, but sometimes. And he's starting to turn that way. So in Galatians 4 verse 6, he he says, because you are God's sons. Hear the family talk here. God sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You You don't have to call God Mr. God anymore is what he's saying. He's our daddy. He's that intimate thing when, when my grandson Leo gets into my into my lap and he looks at me and he says, Grandpa, I say, how many Legos do you want? You know, I mean, it doesn't matter what he wants. And when your son or your daughter, and they say that loving word, mama, papa, grandma, grandpa, that intimate relationship, when the person you love says that nickname to you, that's the kind of relationship that we have because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So he sent us there in verse six Abba, Father. So look, you're no longer slaves but God's, you are God's child, and since you are a child, God has made you an heir. It made You an heir. You see, Paul's changing his tone from, you foolish Galatians! I'm astonished! Chapters 1, chapters 2, and he should have been loud, just like I need to tell Finn, our dog, you sit, not would you like to sit. There's a time for that. I love, I love this passage from 2 Thessalonians 7 and 8. Paul describes himself He says, we were like young children among you, among the Thessalonians, among one of the churches that he pastored. We were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. You thought I was making that up, that Paul was like a nursing mom. That's what he says about himself. And there's a time to be like a nursing mom for men as well as for women with the people that are in our lives. Paul's changing his tone as we come along here in the passage. In fact, look at the end of our passage, chapter 4. Look at verses 19 and 20, what Paul says at the end of the, this section we're preaching on. And look on the screen. I, I got it off the Message Bible. I kind of like it. Do you know how I feel right now about you and, I will, and how I will continue to feel until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives? I feel like a mother in the pain of childbirth. Paul just has this affection and this love for these um, Galatian believers. He's so concerned about them that they've lost the gospel. And he speaks strongly, and now he begins to speak more gently to, to, to them. And so let's jump to uh, verse 8. Let's jump back to verse 8. So with that kind of as a framework, Paul says, listen, before, formerly, when you did not know God, before the gospel came to you in Galatia, you were slaves to those who are na- by nature are not gods. You were caught in slavery to the, to the rules and the regulations and trying to live above average and make sure you didn't do this and make sure you did that. But now, verse 9, that you know God, or, or better yet, you're known by God. How is it that now you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Why are you going back when you've known God and he's known you? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? How foolish that would be. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years and rules and regulations. He says, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like me because I became like you. You did me no wrong. Paul says the gospel has brought you into this relationship with God the Father. You're his son. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You call him Abba. Why do you now go back? Why do you unadopt yourself, if that were possible? Why do you divorce yourself, if that were possible, from God, and go back to the miserable things before? You know, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about Rwanda, and our clean water project that Paseo is involved in, um, you know that um, some people might think, well, why do we need clean water in Rwanda? Well, it's because they have horribly dirty water in Rwanda, and it's difficult to clean it. And um, around the world, every 20 seconds, a child dies of a waterborne disease. So we've been here 40 minutes or so. So there have been more children that have died since we began worship this morning than there are people here in the worship center this morning. That ought not to be, right? There ought not to be kids who have to carry these 20-liter jugs for sometimes for uh, short distances, other times for longer distances, deep down to the river bottoms, and then carry them back up to their families and then try to drink this water or to treat it just, so, just in a very cursory manner. Um, That that ought not to be. Every 20 seconds, a child dies of a waterborne disease around the world. And so Paseo del Rey is saying, you don't need to drink that water anymore. And uh, many other Christian and other organizations are saying the same thing. So on November 19th here at Paseo del Rey, you've heard about it. You're going to hear about it again and again and again. Is We're going to be helping to build some very simple Water filters, home water filters, that'll be given to the most, through the churches in Rwanda, be given to the most vulnerable in Rwanda, in which they can take water like this and pour it in, and out comes very, very drinkable water that will cut, cut out 99.9% of the problems that are caused by the dirty water that they drink. We're going to be part of that. Now imagine if Paseo del Rey built a filter and we took it and we put it, gave it to a family there in Rwanda. And after a month, they said, no, we don't like this water. We're going to go back and start drinking this water again. What would you say? Oh my gosh, why would you want to go back to that? And that's what Paul is saying. Here, Jesus is giving you this expensive, sweet, healthy, life-giving water. Why would you go back to that dirty, putrid, uh, uh, deadly water? Paul's saying, don't go back to the law. That law will kill you and do you in. He says in verse 9, he says, but now that you know God or rather are known by God, that word rather there means more importantly. He says, now that you know God, that's good to know God. But you know what's even more important than knowing God is knowing that God knows you and that he knew you before you knew him and that he'll always know you. You know, there has, God knows you so intimately, there has never been There has never been a second in your life in which God was distracted from you. God says that he has written your name. He's engraved it. He's etched it in the palm of his hand. He has never forgotten you. He knows even when the smallest of hairs there's not very many left, fall out of your head. He is always attentive to you. He loves you. He knows you. And he knows everything about you. And he's, he knows everything about you. And he still embraces you. And he adopts you. And you are his son. He knows you. It, you see, the gospel tells us that it's, that it's not about, um, about uh, uh, us knowing God as much as it is about God knowing us and his regarding us and his loving us. Paul's getting really personal here, verse 12. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters. I plead with you. Something's happened in our relationship. You're, you're, you're threatening to go back to that dirty water of rules and regulations. Something's happened in our relationship. He says, so I, I, plead, I plead with you. Come back. Come back to me. And look, look what he says in verse 13. As you know, it was because of an illness that I, he's he's rehearsing um, how he got to Galatia. He says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Now, what Paul's saying there is he was headed for another city. Let's say he was headed for San Diego. He wasn't, but let's just say Paul was headed to San Diego, that he wanted to go to San Diego. Who doesn't want to go to San Diego? He wanted to go to San Diego and take the gospel to San Diego, to the unreached people in San Diego. But on his way, as he was going near Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, as he was going near, near Galatia, illness took him down. And the illness made him detour what he had planned to do. And that detour took him into Galatia. And it was because of that illness that he had that he didn't want to have that brought him to Galatia and he preached the gospel there and they then came to believe the gospel and then this book was written that helps us to understand the gospel. Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't that cool? This was not in Paul's plan. And because we believe in the sovereignty of God that God, that nothing happens, nothing happens in our life that doesn't go through the hand, the office of God, that even when we get have detours in our lives and we get all upset and all freaked out, I do, And I think you do sometimes too, that God can even use that for his fruitfulness, that he chooses to even use those detours in our lives. This detour for Paul was that he had this illness. As you know, verse 13, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Now, let's think about that illness. And Paul's going to, this is an important illness for us to know something about, verse 14. And even though my illness that diverted him from the way he wanted to go, even though my illness was a trial to you. Now, how would Paul's illness be a trial to the Galatians? Think about it. It was Paul that was sick some way. So it was a trial to him. But how was it a trial to the Galatians? In fact, it was the trial, um, keep our finger in the text there, verse 14. Uh, it was a trial to you. Even though it was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. So there was something about this illness or disease that the Apostle Paul had that he didn't want to have that diverted his course to go to Galatian, Galatia that would have naturally made those people in Galatia go, Ugh. ooh, man, that's... that would have caused them to scorn the apostle Paul or to be contemptuous of him. So, like, if he has the flu and he's throwing up, I mean, that doesn't make make people scorn you, right? That's what maybe some people think it is as well. Yeah, he was throwing up all over the place, and people are going, ugh. This is more than that, right? There's something else going on here. There's something about Paul's disease that naturally would have made them turn their backs on him, uh, instead of them having scorn or contempt toward him, instead, you welcomed me. And this is surprising to Paul that they would welcome him. He wel- In fact, you welcomed me like you would have welcomed if an angel would have come to town or if Jesus himself would have come to town. So what is it about this illness that the apostle Paul has that diverted his course that would have naturally made them go, oh, I don't like this. Well, I have a I have an idea what it is, but I'm not gonna tell you today. You have to come back next week. And Derek's gonna explain it to you next Sunday when he's preaching. I love this, Derek. Yeah, tag team on this stuff. Here's what I think it is. And this won't count in getting into heaven. I think Paul had something wrong with his eyes in that his eyes bugged out major league. Not, not just a little bit, but we're like bugged out of his, his face. You go, oh, what a stupid thing that would be, Gary. How'd you come up with that thing? I read my Bible. That's the best way. Context, context, context. Context immediately. Bigger context, bigger context. We keep our finger in the text. Why would I say such a silly thing like that? Well, verse uh, 15. Um, uh, uh, where then is your blessing of me now. There's been this alienation. I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Now, we know that that was used sometimes as an expression, like I might say to April, oh honey, I would tear my heart out for you, okay? Of my expression of my love for her. But it was very seldom used expression and we think it probably this is not what it was not just an expression of love, but that Paul actually had something that was somewhat weird about his eyes that made people go, "I don't know if I want to hang around this guy." Now, one more clue that that might be the case is in the end of chapter six, verse eleven, uh, Galatians six eleven. See what Paul says there see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Now, a couple of things about that verse is most of the time when uh, someone would write a letter, they wouldn't write it themselves. they, They would have a scribe write it. They would dictate it. Paul knew how to write. So this is unusual, and I think this shows a couple of things. It shows Paul's He's compassionate about it. He wants to write this letter himself, which is unusual in itself. But notice what what does he say? Look at what large letters I write this letter to you. So he's got these big letters as he's writing, bigger than normal. They're not 10 font, right? It's like 36 font. They're big. Now, why might that be the case? Well, I would suggest one of two things. One is, sometimes if I'm ticked at my wife, and she's out, and I need to leave her a note, my handwriting looks different than when I'm calm. Does this ever happen to any of you guys? No, I'm sure it doesn't. I know it does. You know, it's I'm going to scribble this thing. Honey, don't do that again, or whatever the silly thing is I write. So Paul might be writing with big letters to get their attention, right? Exclamation mark. Or if he had really bad eyesight, how would he write? With large letters. So just putting the pieces together, and again, when you get to heaven, if Jesus asks you what was Paul's uh, illness, don't say Pastor Gary says, okay? Because I don't know, but this is what I'm guessing. That it was something that was somewhat loathsome to the people there. So Paul is rehearsing all this to say, gosh, you guys love me in spite of my weirdness and my weakness. This is what the gospel does, doesn't it? It lets you love someone like me. Warts and all, problems and all, messiness and all, brokenness and all. It allows me to love you, brokenness and all, messy. It loves a husband and a wife to love each other, brokenness of The gospel helps us to love people in that way. And so Paul is rehearsing how they loved him, but something has happened. Since Paul was there a year and a half earlier, they've turned on him. Where there was affection... Now there's distance. Where there was empathy, now there's standoffishness. While, where there was friendship, the Galatians now see Paul as their enemy. He says, what in the world has happened? And there we are at verse 16. He says, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Have I now become your enemy by telling you the gospel truth? Is this what has happened in our warm and positive relationship that we've had? That, that now because I've spoken the truth to you, we're enemies? Now, this happens to us too, doesn't it? Sometimes we speak truth into other people's lives. And when we speak it to them, there's a distance where there used to be um, warmth and there's, now, um, hiding where there used to be openness. And, 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 and there's this distance where there used to not be a distance. That's what Paul's trying to say in this argument here. And that's hard for us. That's, that, that's painful uh, for us in our relationships. Um, I had someone not too long ago come to me and say, um, uh, Pastor, I need to talk to you about something. I said, great, great. And they said, um, you know, so-and-so said that I'm not a good listener, and that really hurt me, they said. They said, I'm not a good listener. In fact, they went on to not only say am I not a good listener, but they said, you know, whenever I start talking to you, you start talking about yourself. When I come to you and I share an issue or I share a burden or I share something in my life, you don't listen very well. And the next thing I know is we're talking about you. And everything kind of gets turned back to you. And, and it keeps going that way. And, and then this person in my office said to me, what do you think, Pastor Gary? And I thought, this is a very uncomfortable conversation I'm having here, right here. Because I thought that more than their friend thought that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there and trying to what Bible verse can I use here? You know, uh, uh, okay, you know, time's up. I'm really sorry. It's good to have you here today. Uh, you know, my first reaction is to be nice to them. And I was very empathetic, and I reflected, and I asked them a couple times, well, what do you think? Do you think this happens in your life? And kind of went a couple of times that way, and, and, um, uh, and then they asked me again, well, what do you think, Pastor Gary? And I said, uh, Man, it was a struggle for me. Why was it such a struggle for me? Because I I believe it's true. Why was it such a struggle for me? Because I didn't want them not to like me. I didn't want them to become my enemy. And so I was tempted, and I'm often tempted, not to say the truth, to keep a relationship you see, I'm really sick, I'm really dysfunctional in this, is not only am I afraid that they won't like me, but that they'll go and they'll tell their friend, here's what Pastor Gary said about me, and that friend will tell another friend, here's what Pastor Gary said about him or her, and here's what Pastor Gary said about him or her, and that the whole world then, like within a week, will not like me. Kind of cat- 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 catastrophize things, right? Don't we do that? Some of us do that. Some of us don't give a damn about anything, and we should, right? And when I use that word damn, I use it in the right way. It's, I'm not using it as a swear word there. We don't, we don't care what anybody thinks about anything. And, and you need to think more about what people, what people think about you. You do. There's, there's a whole bunch of people in this worship center here today. And so as, as, so, as I was sitting there with this person, I said, you know what? I I think there's some good truth in what this person told you. And guess what? This person got upset with me. And I'm still here. (laughs) And I'm still alive because of the gospel. I think the gospel helps us, empowers us to say the hard things to people and to hear the hard things from people. I think the gospel helps us to say hard things to people, and I think it helps us to hear hard things from the gospel. And I want to encourage you today to be more like Paul, to say the truth in the power of the gospel. Now, uh, here's a principle. If you find yourself often having hard conversations with people, dial it down. Okay. If that's your tendency, if that's your, if that's your bent, you're know you, you, you know, you're just kind of bumping and confronting people more often, dial it way back. But if you have a tendency not to confront people with the truth, to speak the truth and love into their lives, I want to tell you in the power of the Holy Spirit to dial it up. You, 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 you need to do that because it's a, it, can, it can be, if you do it in the right way, in the right spirit, and with good counsel from someone close to you, it can be the most growing thing for a person. I, I can personally attest to that. It, and when people have spoken the truth to me, when I have received it in the power of the gospel, it's, it changes my life. I need you, and you need me, and we need each other. To speak truth into each other's lives, and I'll tell you what I get people in my office sometimes, and they'll say to me, they'll be telling me their story, and I'll I'll, I'll, and I'll confront them with the truth of the matter, and they'll look at me like it is the I'm telling them the weirdest thing in the world, and they'll and they'll say, no one's ever said that to me before. I say, you go to this church, yeah, you know people in this church, yeah, oh yeah, I've got great friends. Are you in a growth group in this church? Yeah, I'm in a growth group in this church. You come to church like more than once a year at this church? Yeah, I'm there, you know, every week. And no one, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm exaggerating here, but I'm thinking in my head, and no one said this to you? So a, sudden, I've, a couple of times I've gone to a couple of people that know them well. I said, hey, have you ever noticed that, you know, Mike, Mike or Bill or Sam, whoever it is, you know, that there, there's this kind of issue, kind of big issue in their life? Oh, yeah, that's horrible. It's just, I can't believe it have you ever said anything to him about it? No, no, I couldn't do that. So you just let the cancer grow in his family and in his work life. and That's not loving. That's not being graceful. So I want to encourage you to speak God's truth in love and in and, 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 and the power of the gospel. Now, and, and, now here's, a, I think, a great truth of the gospel, and I want to call it today gospel invulnerability. Gospel invulnerability. The word invulnerable means uh, not susceptible to harm, not able to damage, not able to hurt. Um, um, and, and in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are invulnerable. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. We are absolutely invulnerable. You see, if, if I base my self-worth and my significance on what you think of me, I'm very vulnerable, right? Because it's going to be like a shifting sand. I'm going to be spending my whole life doing all kinds of dysfunctional, weird stuff to make sure you like me at all costs, even if truth goes out the window, even if truth in our relationship goes out the window. Now, I'm not talking about being a jerk, okay? That's why I said dial it down, you folks that are big confrontational. But I'm talking about doing it in a right way, in a right manner. And if my if my self-worth is, is tied up in what you think of me, I am not going to love you like Jesus loves you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be manipulating you in my niceness. I'm manipulating you. I'm letting you get away with things that are not helpful. And, and I'm just talking about all of us in our relationship. I'm just using me. In our, when I just let you get away with that, I'm not loving you like Jesus. I, I'm... I, I, I don't like to use these psychological, psychobabble words, but I'm enabling you. I think that's a good word to help us. I'm enabling you to keep doing what's wrong and what's hurtful, hurtful to you and hurtful to your relationship. But when my security is in Jesus and what he thinks of me, and get this, I know what he thinks of me. The cross says it all of what Jesus thinks of me. That even though I'm a sinner, even though I'm a louse, even though I have uh, warts, even though I blow it, even though I lose my temper, he loves me first and he continues to love me and he knows me and he holds me in his hand and he's en- engraved my name in his hand and nothing, nothing will remove me from, his, from the gospel, from his hand. Romans 8. Chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Let's read this together like we mean it, okay? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Let's read that little phrase again. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gospel invulnerability. We are safe and secure and significant in Jesus and what he's done for us. And nothing will shake us from that. What matters in this world is not what, what, what people think of us, but what God thinks of us. And he loves us. And he's adopted us. And he says we can now call him Abba, Father. His love is invulnerable, it's impervious, it's indestructible, it's indistinguishable, it's bulletproof. And if you don't love me after I speak the truth to you, that's going to hurt. It'll be painful. But God's love for me will not be extinguished by what you think. And what he thinks of me is I'm his son, whom he's adopted into his family. So if we, what we have to do is preach the gospel to ourselves. That's going to help us to speak the truth in love and to hear the truth in love is this gospel invulnerability. So a couple of things on your message outline if you want to follow. You can speak the truth and still be graceful. I, th- I think one of the reasons that we oftentimes shy away from speaking the truth to others is we're fearful they won't like us in this disaster or catastrophe. But the gospel's the answer. The, the, the gospels, the answer is that I know my identity is safely in Jesus. And I want you to like me, but I don't have to have you to like me to be secure and significant. What a freedom that is. And then here's the cool thing, is that when I remember how secure and significant I am in Jesus, then I'm free to love you like Jesus does. I'll love you better when I understand my, my, my security in Jesus. I won't be a jerk to you when I understand my security in Jesus. Sometimes when I'm nice to you, I'm being a jerk to you, really. That's really what I'm doing. Um, it, it's, it's just unhealthy. I'm not being honest with you. Now, um, uh, on, the, on our Paseo's website, www.paseodelray.org, we resurrected uh, three blogs that I wrote in 2012 on having hard conversations. And, and I think they're awesome. I wrote them. Um, <laughs> I think they're helpful, and uh, there's, there's three blogs there about how to have hard conversations, because this is not freedom to attack people, because it doesn't matter. They're secure in Christ, so I can just attack them. That's not what we're talking about here, but some ideas, and, and having a wise, confidential person near you, around you, that you can talk it through with. You know, I think I need to talk to Bill or Mike or to Jared about this, what do you think? Keeps it confidential praise for you. No, no, that's not the battle you want to have with, with Mike or Bill or John or Sam or whoever it is. You know, yeah, no, or, or yeah, you, you do need to talk to him. You, you know who's the best in the world for this is my wife. My, my wife is so sweet, but she's so strong. And I just love this about her. She'll just say to me, you need to say it.
1: Because, oh, no, no, they won't
0: like me if I say it you're being dishonest. Ah, I'm not being dishonest. I just want them to like me. You know, you're being dishonest. Those that's are conversations, real conversations that we have at our house. Um, another reason we're fearful of speaking the truth is sometimes we think it's antithetical to grace. We think it's the opposite of grace, and that if we speak the truth, then we're not being graceful to people. But you're, you do this with your kids all the time we've confused, we, we think that niceness and grace are the same thing. They're not the same thing. I, I, sometimes when I discipline my kids, I'm not very nice to them. You know, my, my kids, I'm sorry, my five, six-year-old grandson, you can't get an iPhone 7. I don't care if you do call child protective services. You're not getting one. You know, I'm, he's very mad at me. He's very upset at me, but I can be graceful about it, Right? And I think it's the best thing for him, not he doesn't want an iPhone 7, but I think it's the best thing for him. I think when Paul confronted Peter in the book of Galatians here, it's recorded, I think it was a firefight. I think it was a pretty big blow up, but it would have been very ungraceful for Paul not to have confronted Peter. I think when Jesus said to that woman that he's sitting at the well with, why are you having sex with someone you're not married to? How'd you know I was having sex with someone I'm not married to? Well, I know a thing or two. That was graceful, wasn't it? Well, but it wasn't very kind. Kind and grace are not the same. Nice and grace are not the same thing. It was graceful and it brought healing and brought life into, into, into her life. Proverbs 27.6, and a bunch of others on your sheet there. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I want to be a trusted friend. You want to be a trusted friend with people. And I, and I find myself kissing people sometimes. That's what an enemy does. That's what Judas did, Right? And I want you just to ask God, are you guilty of becoming an enemy to people to keep them liking you? Because that's what he says we are when we don't tell people the truth. Now again, here's what's the principle. If you confront a lot, tune it down. If you don't confront much, tune it up in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, uh, here's just uh, one more. Uh, Welcoming truth opens doors for gospel growth. Uh, so when we welcome truth into our lives, you know, my instant reaction when someone confronts me, my instant reaction is defensiveness, right? Like, and I know a couple of things about you. What gives you the right? But if, I, if my security is not in what that person thinks of me, but my security is solid in Jesus Christ, even though that hurts, confrontation always hurts. It's always uncomfortable, always. But if I, if I, if I, if I'm secure in the gospel, I won't be devastated. I'll, okay, oh, okay. Oh, I don't want to hear this. This is this is hard. God help me. Now, I just want—I want to say something about this too. Is sometimes when we're confronted with the truth, what we do is we we start pointing fingers at the way it was done well, you weren't very nice about it. You, it was bad timing. Um, You were too loud. You were too this. You were too that. You should have done this. And while I think those things are true, can be true, don't miss the truth God has for you in the confrontation. I I just see this happen over and over again in my life and other people's lives where we, we look at the process and we begin to blame the process instead of saying, okay, God, yeah, it wasn't done perfectly. In fact, it was done lousy but God, what do you want to teach me? There's a great, another proverb and some others in your list there, Proverbs 15, 32. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves. You get that? That if you're stubborn, and when I'm stubborn and defensive with discipline, when someone speaks the truth into me, I'm a self-hater. That's strong words. I'm on a suicide mission here. See the gospel helps me to be secure in Jesus Christ so that I can take discipline. But the one who heeds correction gains understanding. The Hebrew word is the word for for the heart. I want more heart. And it comes oftentimes through the correction of another brother or another sister. A friend of mine reminded me the other day of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 King David, the greatest king, awesome guy, and yet, man, he has got so many warts, and he has sex with Bathsheba, and then he has Bathsheba's husband killed, and he's just, a, he's just like us, right? He's a broken mess, and God sees it, and so God says, someone needs to talk to David, and so he's looking around for volunteers, Now I'm ad living here a little bit. He's looking around for volunteers, and he sees this prophet Named Nathan, that we know very little about. He says, Nathan, I want you to go and tell King David what he's done is wrong. And you, you imagine Nathan? You know, Nathan's a little dude. We hardly know anything about him in the Bible. Great name, but he, we know very little about him. You, you want me? Well, he won't like me. And, and when the king doesn't like you, it's like big trouble, right? It's, it's really a, an issue. And if he doesn't like me, he's going to tell other people, and they're not going to like me. And, you know, just, a, just this whole mess. But Nathan obeyed the Lord. Um, 2 Samuel 12. Go and read the story this afternoon. And he goes and he tells this incredibly amazing parable to King David. And as David hears this truth, he is convicted to the heart, and he repents of his sin. And he goes on, get this, to write Bible write Psalm 51, write Psalm 32. You look at those Psalms, Psalm 51 and 32 and a whole bunch more. After the truth of God came to he didn't despise his life, but instead he, he put his trust in God that he was secure in God. And that's what I want for you and that's what I want for me. We want to grow. We want to become all that God wants to be. We want the people around us to but the way we speak truth to each other and hear truth has got be, to be grounded in this invulnerability that my security is not based in any way, my significance is not based in any way of what you think of me. And the cool thing is that this causes me to love you more than you've ever been loved by me before let's stand together and pray. Our worship team is going to come and then our offering, our ushers will come as well. Jesus, um, help us to preach the gospel to ourselves and to remind ourselves and remind each other where our security and our significance come from, that they come from one place and we can chase after it all kinds of places. We can chase after it after our appearance or we can chase after our security by our possessions or our houses or, or, or our reputations or, and what other people think of us. But Lord, that is just like serving rock cocaine. It is just a, a never-ending, horrible enslavement. And we will not go back there. We will not go back there. We are safe and secure in you, Jesus of the cross and the empty tomb. We are safe and secure forever, and nothing will separate us from you. It is you alone that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.